Welcome to the Vici Mundum Show, a ministry of Our Lady of Mount Carmel Catholic Church in Newport News, Virginia. How long have you been here at JMU, Bruno? Uh, this is now my second year at JMU. Got here last fall. It's been a good ride. Is this your first assignment as a focus missionary? It's actually my second. So I started as a missionary at Harvard. I was there for two years. Wow, Harvard. Yeah. Holy smokes. <laughs> I'm sure that came with some challenges. Yeah, it's, def- it's definitely a different world, different challenges there than here. Um, I think one of the blessings of coming here is people maybe are not as academically driven as they were up there, but there's a great sense of community that I think was lacking up there over there. It's a lot more individualistic, the way people look at their life and their journey. And so as a missionary, it's actually really conducive to have people that desire community and, and are willing to make sacrifices to work with others. Nice. Yeah, well, it's very good being back here because, as you guys know, this is where I went to school, uh, James Madison University. And I agree with you on that, that this is uh, – I always felt like there's a very strong sense of community at this school. Is that your perspective, Eric? Yeah, I think so. I think you really see it in the in the town, in the Harrisonburg community, but also in the, um, in the school community. Um, students love to hang out with each other. There's a desire to, to be together. And I think the administration does a good job of providing opportunities and promoting that with various initiatives that they have on campus to get students involved and connected. I think part of that's because the school's so big mm-hmm. um, with over 20,000 students that um, they want to help students find um, their own smaller community so they can feel like they belong to something. At the same time, they belong to something big. And so at football games, especially, you see this this big community event where alumni come um, and tailgate and, and you feel like you're part of something big. And then you also feel like you're part of something, um, smaller and, and something more intimate. Mm, you know, that kind of reminds me just of being Catholic, that we are, we're a part of something big, that huge identity of Catholicism and the Pope is all of our father. But at the same time, we all have our own little parish family life that is, you know, that's more intimate. And even sometimes if we're blessed, like a small group or something like that, that you have community within community within community in it mm. and it grows out, which is really cool. Um, well, I did hit record a couple minutes ago, so we will go ahead and, uh, and do some introductions here. So welcome back everyone to another episode of the Vici Mundum show. Um, and today we are very happy, uh, to be recording from James Madison University, the Catholic campus ministry. Go Dukes. Am I right? With God. God. Oh, whoa, what was that? That I wasn't here when I was here. Go Dukes. Begins begins with God. God. Oh, that is awesome. (laughs) Because if you spell it out, right? If that's you spell a, it out, go Dukes. That's awesome. So is this what you guys, this is what the campus ministry does? Do you all do that like after mass or something? Yes. It. Um, the story is our chaplain, Father Peter, was the chaplain at George Mason and then um, moved down here and was struggling internally a little bit because he um, he was an alumnus of Mason and he was a chaplain there for more than a decade, um, 14 or 15 years, I think. And... Then he is sent down here to Harrisonburg, and he's never lived outside of Northern Virginia in his life, and and so he's here in this you know faraway place at JMU of all places, and he's struggling a little bit with getting into it, and then he's just looking at Go Dukes, which is you know kind of the the rallying cry and the cheer of of everyone here at JMU, the mascot, the Dukes, and and he realized that Go Dukes. Go Dukes. Go Dukes begins with God. And then he was at peace and he was all in. Um, and it's been our rallying cry. So we have shirts that are made up. It's on our pens um, that we have made up. And and 
you know, we say at the end of Mass, go Dukes begins with God. And we get a lot of comments um, on those shirts. I think a lot of people really like them. Um, nice. Even non-Catholics really like that idea. Um, mm. So That's great. That was, that was totally unexpected. I was expecting <laughs> go Dukes and like people to say Dukes, but <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, all right. So with that explanation, let's do some introductions. So we've got kind of a packed room today. Um, I'm Austin and Austin Fahrenholt from Our Lady Mount Carmel. To my left, we've got Bruno, right? That's right. Well, I don't know your last name, Bruno. I'm Ferrari, sorry. Ferrari, like the car. Whoa, <laughs> nice. That's awesome. Bruno <laughs> Ferrari. Um, to his left, but hopefully chiming in here and there, um, sharing a mic with, with Bruno is Joan Zimmerman, right? Yes. And Joan, you're from our part of the town, right? Yeah, so I graduated from Christopher Newport University in Newport News, so I went to Arlie Mount Carmel quite frequently. Nice, yes. So Joan reached out to us to come down and talk, so um, we're super excited. I'm super excited Ken couldn't be here. And then uh, to her left is Eric, right? Yes, Eric Horn. Eric Horn. Horn, got it, yeah. Uh, director of the campus ministry here at JMU. And then we also have a student who's got an awesome name. Yeah, my name is Austin Evans, and I'm a junior here at JMU. Planning on being a middle school teacher, right? That's correct. Wow. Hopefully a senior before that. Yeah. (laughs) And then maybe a graduate degree and then off to teaching, right? You got it. So we were just talking about how Austin's already, he's he's going to do his purgatory here on earth working at a middle school. So good for you. (laughs) A man who must love suffering. (laughs) Uh, So uh, what we were going to talk a little bit about today um, is something that actually got this whole podcast started, uh, and that's conversation and talking about um, some of the the benefits of conversation. So my question for you people on a college campus, do you see conversation as uh, being um, as being done very well on a college campus or perhaps maybe, maybe lacking. Any thoughts? I'm going to go ahead and chime in first. Um, from my personal experience here on campus, I find conversation very lacking. Uh, a lot of people are plugged into their phones and when you're walking around, everyone's got their own world, their own headphones in or surfing on their cell phone. It makes it difficult to break through some of those, um, little many worlds that we make for ourselves. Mm. So conversations that happen in the hallways don't always happen. Is it because you think people get distracted really quickly to their phone or, um, so even if their phone's in their pocket, you would say that, that maybe it's not where you think it would be healthy. Yeah, I would definitely say it. it's unhealthy in the fact that people can't find comfort except within their own world hmm. or their cell phone or device or whatever that may be. So do y'all think that perhaps conver- or that conversation can be uncomfortable? Maybe that's part of it. Eric, what do you think? Maybe uncomfortable. And, and I, I think you mentioned distraction. I think the phone can be a distraction to conversation. I remember we had an event here at the CCM and I witnessed a young man and a young woman having a conversation. And, and then the young man was looking down at his phone while she was talking. And then he was like replying to a text while she was talking and he was just kind of like half in the conversation, half not. I want to go up and like shake him or slap him or something and just be like, here's a young woman who's interested in you and talking to you. And (laughs) what's the matter with you? (laughs) What's the matter with you? Right. Um, and you're like some, you're off somewhere else. Um, and so I think we feel like the phone, um, becomes the most important thing as it dings and bings and, and draws Mm. our attention there when, and, and we don't see the person that we're with as being the most important, um, in that moment. Why do you think that is? Bruno, you have thoughts on that? What do you think? 
we don't see that person as being the most important. I think a lot of it is rooted in fear. Um, and I think also, um, I mean, we think about like the word conversation. I was meaning to look this up, but I'm not sure exactly. I think it has probably a similar root to the word conversion, right? Mm-hmm. And it's this turning around or turning from our way of seeing things. And I would imagine that one of the things that happens, and we were talking about this earlier, is we kind of broadcast our views right through these technologies, whether it's our phone or our Facebook page or Instagram. And, you know, we find ways to reinforce our points of view. But the moment you interact with a person live, it forces you to kind of step away and encounter the unexpected and, you know, yeah, to face a level of awkwardness. And so I think, in my opinion, a lot of it can be rooted in, in a fear of, uh, yeah, just the uncertainty that comes from a conversation. Mm. Whereas on the phone, it's on your timeline. Uh, you get to reply when you're ready. Uh, you get to talk with who you want to talk to. Uh, in a live conversation, there's there's a level of um, spontaneity and, and uncertainty that I don't think we encounter with technology. So... Um, yeah. A word that keeps coming to my mind as you're talking is responsibility. Hmm. Is that we uh, in in a conversation? There's a level of responsibility that we have to have because we're speaking. I'm speaking now, and so I can be held responsible for the words that I speak. You know, and so uh, so someone could bring it up and said, "You said this," mm-hmm. you know, and then I have to <laughs> go ahead and defend myself. You know, why did I say that? Or perhaps I have to say, "I did say that," and you know what? It was wrong. Uh, I should not have said that. And so there is kind of that, um, uh, I, I think, I think you're, you're hitting a nail on the head from where I'm sitting that fear is a big part of it because there is that responsibility that perhaps I'll say something that might make me look silly, look foolish. Mm -hmm. Perhaps I'll say something that someone might judge me, uh, on and, um, and there's a great fear of, of being judged on what we say. Do you think that's true? Austin is up in your experience with, uh, being a student on campus? I definitely think there's that aspect of fear, like you said. Um, in my own experience, uh, I I would say yes as well. Uh, sometimes I won't say something for fear of being judged by others, mm-hmm. especially if I know it's right. There's a, there's that lack of wanting to say it for fear of what people will think of me. Yeah. Well, and I mean, our culture kind of... Um, is <laughs> not too forgiving of when people say something wrong, right? I mean, look at politicians. Mm-hmm. Everything they say, it's like, you said this, it's recorded, we've got it here, and we will never forgive you because 40 years ago, you said this one thing, and you're still this same person who said this one thing. So I think there is an element, too, of our culture being so uh, so antagonistic to everything that we say, that there is a great fear of, of speaking um, and of entering into dialogue with people. I think, you know, connecting it to the public sphere, as you were saying, like, it seems like positions get so polarized, too. And I think that's another thing that makes conversation very difficult, where it seems that, you know, everybody makes a caricature out of the other side of the argument. I mean, we encounter that with our faith when people talk about being Catholic. Immediately, you know, there's a wall that comes up because of what people might think that Catholicism implies for them. Um, You know, you see it in political parties, but I think also when we're talking about the faith, there's this great polarization that comes about, I think partially because of the technology, but also because this fear um, pushes people into atmospheres where they can share their opinion safely. And that opinion just gets louder and usually distorted in some way. I think that's, I mean, that's even a danger for us as a campus ministry um, here and anywhere else. 
to just kind of turn in and become more insular to a place where we can broadcast our opinions and then, like, like I said, at times distort them. Hmm. Well, Austin, you were talking about responsibility. Yeah. Um, and Bruni, you're talking about the, the risk, I think, of, of having an opinion and sharing that opinion. And, and I think they're, they're combined. You need, if you are responsible for something, you're risking something. You're putting your own self on the line. And I think sometimes people can be afraid of, um, of owning up to what it is they believe or to speaking up when, when the faith is challenged or, or when they feel a need to. Um, I've seen, students hesitant to speak about their faith, um, or, or come to me with, um, with questions about how they can speak about their faith in the, in the, in the classroom maybe, or, or with, with friends, because they're, they're afraid of, of owning up, maybe of saying the wrong thing, or they don't feel like they're well-prepared. Um, and I think to me that just emphasizes the importance of, of being prepared to defend your faith, but, but also being willing to take that risk, um, because faith Faith is risky. You're going out there, right? Christ is calling us to go and walk on the water, um, in a certain sense. And that, and, and that can be a, a scary thing to, to fearlessly, um, go out there and go where Christ is calling you. And because you are, you are at risk. Mm-hmm. Um, and we trust in God and God will carry us through that. But, but when you're living your faith, you are at risk. And I think that in our conversations, the, um, the live conversation is risky because someone can challenge you. Um, you, you can, you'll be called, called to account for what it is that you said and, and, and you risk being wrong or you risk them disagreeing with you. And we, and we want to go away from conflict. Um, so I think that element of risk mm-hmm. goes along with that element of responsibility. Yeah. I think that's great. And you know, one thing is coming to mind too, is that, uh, that I think particularly in, our, in a social media culture, there's a temptation to live our lives, um, from the, Looking, all right, let's see if I can explain this without it being confusing. From uh, living our lives through the perceptions of others about ourselves. So mm-hmm. so thinking about how does this make me look? How does yeah. this make me look? Absolutely. Um, and, and so <laughs> it's kind of crazy because you've got potentially two people sitting in a conversation, both thinking, how is, how is the other person thinking about me? You know, and they're not actually thinking about the other person. And so I think there's a beauty to, to, to good conversation that comes from actually being interested in the other person. Yeah. I think it comes, comes down to being present and being with that person, experiencing the person you're with or the place where you are. Um, it's not exactly about conversation, but I remember going to Rome, um, and being in these beautiful churches and everyone was walking around with a selfie stick, taking pictures of themselves <laughs> and looking, looking at these beautiful churches through in the churches in Rome. <laughs> They're in the churches in Rome, looking at it through their phone. Um, instead of like just taking in the beauty and the grandeur of like what this building is and, and looking at the sacred art and, and using it for, for prayer or just sitting and sitting there and being in wonder of all of it. Mm-hmm. Instead, they're, they're, they're mediating it. Um, through something instead of being present to what's there or to the people they're with. Yeah. Do you have a thought, Austin? Yeah. Yeah, I'm going I'm to roll with that. Um, one of my concentrations here at school is Latin. And as Bruno was saying, conversation comes from the Latin root words con and huerto, huertere, huersus, which literally means to roll or to turn with. So when you're having a conversation, you're taking turns with one another um, I always think of that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. When I think of, um, conversation, I think of 
tires actually rolling and having a conversation with the road. There has to be a point of contact, like Eric was saying, where they meet in order for them to both push off each other mm. and actually get anywhere. There's got to be some friction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for any movement, there's got to be some level of friction, which is why if you get a whole bunch of people in a room in a business setting and everybody says, yep, this is great, uh-huh, then you don't really go anywhere. Or if everyone's quiet, there's got to actually be a little tension to get through. Right? Is that kind of what you're getting at? Absolutely. Yeah, that's great. I've got a thought on that. I just think that's so beautiful. I remember talking to a friend, um, asking that typical question that you get all the time about, you know, if you could talk to any three people in history and ask them for advice, who would you ask? And I think usually, especially in Catholic circles, it's like, oh, well, I would ask Mother Teresa, this Pope and that Pope or this and that other saint. And this guy really kind of made me think twice because he said he would actually ask somebody that he thinks would have an entirely opposite opinion to his own. Hmm. And, you know, and I don't know if he said like, you know, something ridiculous like a Hitler or something like that. But his point was so many times, you know, we just look for people that confirm our point of view Hmm. and that actually does not allow us to like expand our perspective. But even talking with people that have a point of view that's completely the opposite to ours really allows us to explore more deeply what it is that we believe in the first place. Um, So I think, yeah, that point about friction is really that's. That's at the heart of the matter. And I think you can see a really healthy conversation when that friction comes from not um, not judging the other person. And I think this this is where a lot of things get confused, just from what I've seen having conversations with people, is that um, I might have a disagreement with you, Bruno, about something you said, but it has nothing to do with you. It has to do with the idea or the concept or whatever you've said. Um, but I think uh, there is a temptation for us to to identify ourselves by our opinions and by our Mm. thoughts. And so then when they get challenged, we feel a personal attack that somehow you don't like me or you have something against me, whereas it's just an opinion. You know, it's a thought. It's out here and we can discuss it. Um, and, And so I think when we can disassociate ourselves from the opinions and the thoughts and allow them to be molded and turned into something good, true and beautiful, then they're actually does open that element for dialogue like mm-hmm. you're talking about, that uh, that we can talk with somebody from a different perspective than us and expect to find something good. Um, but when we're looking to attack the person or are scared they're going to attack us, then it's not, not very constructive. Um, so, yeah. I think with what you're saying, it makes me think of how, like, at the end of the day, like, for there to be any kind of conversation, there needs to be kind of a common platform under which we're entering into the conversation. That has to be truth, right? And I think that's mm. the beauty of our faith that like at the end of the day, what we're looking for is just the truth, whatever that is. And I love the description I think Aristotle gives of it is truth is just saying of what is that it is and of what is not that it is not. I don't think it gets more simple than that. <laughs> but just right. like that's having great. that as a starting point is really, I think, uh, sometimes very hard. You know, it's so, it, especially in our culture where it seems that the irony is that people attack religion for not being objective. And yet most of the arguments that they give for it are subjective. Mm. Um, you know, when we talk about what love is or, um, the idea of the transcendent, um, most of the arguments that you get are actually not objective arguments. And yet that's the very thing that's being attacked about the church and Catholicism and faith in general. Mm. Makes it hard to talk about it (laughs) (laughs) when it, when it's all subjective. Uh, and what ways have you all seen, um, I, in your own personal lives or in the campus ministry, conversation, uh, curing conflicts? Have you seen anything? I think one of the most beautiful places that I've seen this take place is in small groups. We have small groups here that are run by the focus missionaries or mm-hmm. they're facilitated by the focus missionaries and run by student leaders. And 
these small groups are safe places, kind of like what we had talked about, where we present people with the truth. And in that, we have these open conversations. And I've seen a lot of healing come from that. Mm. People with questions can actually have their questions answered and not just keep them harbored, waiting for the right opportunity. Mm. I think those conversations are so crucial to our faith here on campus. I think there's some criteria that comes with those too, right? I mean, I, I heard you saying a couple different things. Uh, I think one of them is vulnerability, that there mm-hmm. there kind of has to be an element in conversation of vulnerability. Have mm-hmm. you seen your focus missionary, right? So you do a lot of, there's a lot of vulnerability that you have to kind of cultivate. Yeah, is absolutely. This- and I think, I mean, Austin is just a beautiful example of somebody, Austin Evans. Uh, oh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Of somebody who's been able to facilitate that in that small group, right? An atmosphere of vulnerability. And, you know, I think it, it begins with spending time together, right? I think part of what makes it difficult and going, you know, not to beat a dead horse with technology, but part of what makes it hard so many times to have a real conversation is that uh, we just don't have enough touch points with a person. And so, um, you know, whenever we speak up, it might seem like we're pontificating about something when in reality, we just want to have a conversation, but there needs to be, you know, authentic friendship behind that, right? A a sense of encounter outside of like that one point of conflict. Um, But to your point about vulnerability, yeah, it's like, I think sometimes what happens is in some places we might reach a state of like transparency where people are saying what they feel or what's going on or their point of view. But really, I mean, the vulnerability again is that capacity to be wounded and to enter Mm. into a place where I'm not just sharing with you what I believe, but I'm allowing you to enter into it and maybe even to jolt my 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 beliefs about a certain topic. So I think those are the two steps that I I I think you know we oftentimes see in a conversation where you know sometimes people are transparent about their thoughts, but they don't reach that point of what you're saying of vulnerability of really allowing the other person to enter in um, to their hurt or to their thoughts and change them. And there, there's something kind of funny about that, that it, when we actually open ourselves and, uh, and become vulnerable, um, you know, it's, it's weird. It's almost like you, you have to open the wound a little bit to let it heal, mm-hmm. you know, and through, through the conversation, through being, spending time with people, uh, you can, you, you start to actually feel healed by it. You know, we were, mm-hmm. uh, talking about, um, Catherine of Siena, but actually the, the saint that's coming to mind is Teresa of Avila, that she was, there's a great image of her in ecstasy and an angel taking a spear and piercing her. Mm-hmm. And it's so, it's so bizarre in some ways to see, uh, to see her being speared, but it's like a woundedness that, that allows love. You know, it's that mm-hmm. piercingness that, uh, um, that I think that vulnerability can kind of cultivate that. I've definitely seen that in my own life as I've mm-hmm. shared, um, some of my own struggles. Uh, and I'm actually going to talk about those tonight at the tasty Tuesday dinner. Mm-hmm. But when I talk about those and share it with other people, um, there's a beautiful thing that happens when you it, open yourself up a little bit and say, I have dealt with this, or I'm going through this really hard thing that somebody else says, thank God, I'm not the only one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it kind of gets rid mm-hmm. of that isolation or loneliness. Don't you think? Anyone? Absolutely. <laughs> well, isn't, isn't that the whole, well, part of the whole point behind these 12-step programs and AA and mm. things like that where you, you're not the only one with this problem and there are people there that are experiencing the same thing. Um, but I think, I think when you make yourself vulnerable, um, you, you are, 
not just showing showing your weaknesses, but you you also your strengths have an opportunity to to show themselves. And hmm. and and Austin Evans, when you were talking about the the Latin root um, for for conversation, um, you talked about rolling with somebody. And the image that I had in my head was Jacob wrestling the angel, Ooh. like coming to know coming to know the Lord in that way, wrestling with the Lord, wrestling with God, um, rolling with God, trying to, and you, you think about someone about fighters, they're, they're probing, they're, they're finding the weaknesses, they're, they're realizing the strengths, they're, um, they're coming to know each other, um, in a certain way. And I think conversations help us to come to know each other. Um, and, and, and even though that is a kind of a conflict, it can, cure conflict in the sense that it you come to have a respect for your for your opponent in that way you learn your opponent's strengths you learn learn their weaknesses and they and you know that they know yours um and so uh you in conversation you can come to know um, where someone's coming from why they're why they're coming from that that position i think sometimes when you have a conversation with somebody let me back up if there's an initial conflict Sometimes there's something behind that conflict that you don't know. Someone there's there's a backstory that you don't know about, and when you come into conversation with somebody, um, you get to know and learn that conversation. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, no, I think I think that's that's beautiful. Uh, yeah, you get to know people uh, the the more you talk with them, and then uh, it opens you up to a lot more. Um, I think one question that, that's coming to mind is what role does uh, do you think silence plays in conversation? Just to kind of get get as you're as you're thinking about this, as you're silently considering this, um, silence can sometimes feel awkward, you know. And I think there's usually when there is silence in a conversation, that's the the key point. Then we pull out our phone. Um, but I think there's something about silence that we're both afraid of, but that also brings about something uh, something beautiful. I don't know, like a pregnant pause. Yeah, like <laughs> a nice pregnant pause. They're really good at that in NPR. I don't know if you listen to NPR. They... I mean, I think that's going back to something you said earlier, Austin, about, uh, you know, basically living in other people's minds, right? So many times we're concerned about what the other person's thinking. And and if that's the case, it's impossible to sit in silence. When you're like really worried about what the other person's thinking, it's very hard to sit in silence with them. But if you're able to just kind of sit and embrace whatever it is that's, you know, taking place, whether it's reflecting on something that's been said, or even just like watching a beautiful sunset. Uh, there's like this incredible electricity when there's silence, I think, in a conversation that um, I think can only be the fruit of, um, I mean, certainly not a fear, right? They can only be the fruit of, um, I guess, a level of being at peace with with the person that you're with. And and trusting wherever their thoughts are leading them in that moment of silence. I really think that's a beautiful sign of, uh, encounter, you know, with a person, I would say. And it's funny as you get to know people better, um, your conversations in some ways become more silent, you know, like my wife and I have gotten to know each other very well over the past seven years that, that we've been married and, and we can spend an evening in silence beside each other. And I can feel as enriched sometimes more than if we were to have a long conversation, you know, <laughs> there's that, that presence you can just have with somebody, um, uh, that, that feels like it's, it's almost like the language of the body, the conversation of the body that we're here, uh, just being with each other that that's really enriching, you know, that's beautiful. That makes me think of something, uh, Pope Francis in his exhortation about, um, 
holiness in the modern world, he talks about how we try to domesticate the mystery. And I love that idea of like domesticating hmm. mystery. And the truth is like with our words, we domesticate sometimes. We domesticate the mystery or we domesticate the transcendent and trying to put words in it. And I'm not saying, of course, it's good for us to talk and try to define things, but there's a level of, you know, kind of like entering into the mystery and like accepting the mystery of, yeah, even at like two different points of view when you like allow silence to just reign for a minute. Um, so I think it's, it, I mean, it's a beautiful act of, of uh, surrender, of worship, of like, being in tune with the fact that like there's something transcendent uh, mm. that's taking place when you just are able to like take it in silence. Mm. And Eric, you talked about uh, a little bit ago about preparing. Um, you talked, you mentioned being prepared for conversation uh, to enter in. And I think, I think silence plays a key part in that too. Um, that as you were saying, Bruno, if we're, if we're living our lives in someone else's head um, as them thinking about us, that we don't allow true silence to come in and true reason, you know, the true capacities and faculties of the human person to come in um, and, and to think rationally. And therefore, what we have to say to people might not necessarily be reasonable. Whereas when we've spent a little bit of time in silence kind of assessing these thoughts, we actually start to have more to say to people um, because we've been thinking more. Do you think silence plays a, a, a piece in preparing? I, well, I think so. I think... You know, I said a pregnant pause earlier, and I and I I like that image of the the silence in that pause, allowing something to grow and nourishing a thought, and then and then it comes into the world when you begin to speak. But you but you know you don't rush that. You can't rush that. And you and, and sometimes the the best response is not an immediate one, but mm. to stop and wait and allow allow yourself the time to prepare for what you're going to say. Mm. Amen to that. Well, we're closing in on 30 minutes, believe it or not. And there's somebody who's been very silent and hopefully has a lot to say about this now. Joan, do you want to say anything before we we uh, close up the show? Yeah, sure. Um, so when we were talking about silence, it made me think back to my glory days in CCM at CNU uh, and how I would lead Bible studies. In the first couple of Bible studies, I hated that awkward silence because I felt like I personally was doing something wrong. It made me turn to very selfish thoughts. Um, but as I started to experience more what small groups were like, that silence allowed for beautiful moments of thoughts to enter into a conversation. Um, and they were very deep thoughts that I wasn't expecting anyone to say. And so instead of hating that awkward silence, I love when that awkward silence comes in because then it's like, I can think about what I'm going to say next, but then I can also enter into a moment of prayer hmm. for the Holy Spirit to come in and work with what's going on um, and so those people who speak up during that awkward silence, who hate it, um, I think they also bring something beautiful into the conversation. So, yeah. Yeah. I love it. You kind of facilitate an awkward situation so that somebody has to talk or the Holy Spirit comes in. Yeah. You know, that, that silence allows him to move too, which is beautiful. Any other thoughts before we, we close up? Bruno, you have something? Yeah, I just have one thought on this. <laughs> I mean, just a plug for prayer, really, because at the end of the day, I'm, I'm just thinking as Joan was speaking um, about how, I mean, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And I mean, that happens in prayer, which happens in silence when we just listen to the word. I've heard it said that there's two creations always in anything, right? First, the creation in the mind of whatever it is that we want to do. And then that creation gives birth to like whatever action is going to take place. And so that first creation that takes place in each of our lives, that new creation that we want to become begins in our time of prayer. And I know I've experienced that in my life and 
I mean, that's what we believe, right? That's where the transformation takes place. So especially during the Lenten season, to make that time to be transformed by the renewal of our minds through prayer. Amen. I can't think of any better way to end that. So <laughs> with thank you guys so much for, for podcasting with us. This was awesome. I think Austin Evans, you have a class to get to here shortly. Um, so thanks guys. It is so fun being back at JMU CCM and until next time, our lady of Mount Carmel pray, pray for, for us. us. Thanks again for tuning in. We would love for you to join the conversation that we started by sending us an email at vichimundum1633 at gmail.com or by connecting with us on Facebook and or Instagram. And while we love doing these podcasts, we really love hearing from and starting relationships with you even more. I also want to extend an invitation to you that if you like these shows and would like to see more produced by our parish, please feel free to support what we're doing. You can go to Our Lady of Mount Carmel's website and give online by designating your donation to Vichy Mindum. Monthly gifts are especially helpful. Finally, as a reminder, the views and opinions expressed on this show are those of the presenters alone, and they do not necessarily reflect the views of Our Lady of Mount Carmel Church or the Catholic Diocese of Richmond. God bless you. We look forward to talking with you soon. Yay! Good job! <laughs> Did you guys enjoy that? Yeah. Yeah? Awesome. You raised your hand. I was really... I got... I know. I am so sorry. I was like five minutes and then... I was like... Am I, I shocked you. I'm like, dang it. No, and then I like... I like... The sentence probably started and ended with different subjects. That's all right. No, I feel we'll bad. We'll chop that one up to audio difficulties. <laughs>